0: Amen. Well, love your enemies. We've got a lot of work to do in a short sermon. So uh, let's do it. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved, here is our good news for this morning. Jesus has ushered in the blessing and abundance of God's future. It's a new way of life that disrupts and displaces old systems of oppressive power. Retribution and condemnation are over. Forgiveness and provision are poured out. So, let us embrace solidarity with those under the thumb of oppressive power, and together, embody God's future, loving our enemies without fear, Trusting God's love to liberate us all. Amen? Amen. (coughs) So, on the surface, love your enemies doesn't really sound like good news to most of us, right? Maybe it's because we aren't quite sure what it would mean to have an enemy. Are we talking about people who don't like me, personally? Are we talking about someone who did something bad to me once or many times? Are we talking about someone who disagrees with me? someone who threatens my ideology or status. Another reason that this oftentimes doesn't feel like good news to us is that we're confused about what loving an enemy would look like. We think of love as a sentiment, warm fuzzies in the heart, and so loving our enemies feels like it's incompatible with being angry with those who've mistreated us. It's not, but that is also some way that we get tripped up. When we think about loving our enemies, we think of it as a, a warm fuzzy we're supposed to feel about those who are mistreating us and never be able to do anything that makes them upset. Or maybe it's because we've heard this teaching weaponized to silence the anger of the marginalized and to keep oppressive systems of power in place. These words have been weaponized. They've been used to suppress the work of justice. These words have been used to hold women captive to abusive partners. These words have been used to impede people reporting abuse in the church. Just love your enemies. Don't be too upset. Because of how these words have been weaponized, to many of us, they don't sound like good news at all. They sound like just another form of oppression. Just another way to turn the screw and to keep the old system in place. So how is this, on the lips of Jesus, not just a call to passively submit to violence and to perpetuate injustice? Well, first of all, Jesus isn't giving us a general principle here. I think it's important to notice the context. Jesus isn't giving us a general principle for anyone who thinks they might have an enemy. Jesus says, to you who listen. And Spencer preached, Father Spencer preached about this last week uh, where we started this Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is speaking to specific people and he says, to you who listen. This is a continuation of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain and it starts with the marginalized, and oppressed peoples of Israel coming to Jesus from all over the place to listen to him teach about this new world order that is invaded, called the kingdom of God, and to receive the power of that kingdom in their eyes through healing. We know this is who they are because Jesus names them when he names his blessings. They're the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, the excluded, the reviled, the slandered. These are the desperate poor of Israel, the vast majority of the population who lived under the oppressive uh, domination of systems of taxation and exploitation that kept them constantly on the edge of starvation for the enrichment of the wealthy and the powerful. So the enemies Jesus is talking about here, to you who listen, are their enemies. And everybody would have known who he's talking about. This isn't people I have interpersonal conflict with. These are enemies. Who have the power of life and death over these people. That's men. That's who Jesus is talking about. The people who oppress and dominate the poor. So, this is different from having conflict with someone. This is different from someone who threatens my ideology or my comfort. This isn't Father Matt and I getting into a sharply worded argument, which is happening. (laughs) But we're not enemies. At that point, we're just two friends having a conflict. Neither is this feeling uncomfortable. Having an enemy is not the situation where I feel uncomfortable, for example, when the history of white supremacy in America is taught in my school. That's not my enemy. The enemies that Jesus is speaking of here, at least, are those who hold the power of life and death over others and whose intent is to cause destruction maintain systems of oppression that are harmony. Those are enemies. So this actually makes it worse, right? Because now we're talking Jesus is actually looking at these people, the poor, the revised, the excluded, the hated, and he's telling them to love their enemies. What could he mean? What is he doing by telling the most vulnerable people to love their enemies? And here's where the context matters. Because the command to love enemies is not a standalone command that Jesus just gives them. Hey, everybody, you come out to the wilderness here to listen to me teach. You know what? You've got to submit to the violence and the oppression. No, the command to love enemies comes between a good news sandwich, <laughs> if we notice. There's abundant good news in this passage. One part of it is uh, what we read last week. But this is Jesus helping us understand that the radical, subversive nature of loving our enemies has nothing to do with just submitting to violence. And he's inviting these people into it. Here's what I mean. Jesus starts in the passage we read last week by ushering in the blessing and abundance of God's future to all of these misfits, all of these nobodies, all of these people that society, the wealthy, the powerful had just ignored and just, they're, they're there for my, my exploitation, for, for me to manipulate, dominate, to oppress. But the kingdom of God comes to these people. Jesus says, they're off there doing, you know, the wealthy are off there doing their whatever they're doing. And you guys are here receiving the kingdom. Jesus doesn't wait for the powerful to get on board. He doesn't even try to get them on board. He just brings this new life directly to those who want it. He heals them of their diseases. He teaches them about this new life. And he proclaims that y'all misfits are actually the blessed ones. You are the ones coming to learn and receive from me. God's future is being given to you and trusted to you as a gift. And woe to those who think they've won life's lottery because those systems of domination and oppression are coming to an end. They just don't know yet. They're investing in a dying world. But you aren't. You see what's happening. And he proclaims these blessings over them. And then after the command to love enemies, notice what Jesus says to them. He proclaims good news again to these misfits and outcasts. Do not judge, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give is the measure you get back. What Jesus is saying here, That he's assuring them that if you'll trust me and if you'll embody this new order of God's reign among you, God will free you from retribution and condemnation, no matter what the wealthy and the powerful do or say. You'll be freed from retribution, you'll be freed from condemnation, and God will pour out forgiveness and provision in us. Because God is going to give us all that we need. We don't need to curry favor with our oppressors. That's the good news, Sandwich between this call to lower enemies. And so we can cast aside the logic of the old order of scarcity and competition, the logic of mammon, if you will, and instead we trust God's new order of liberating love, knowing there is abundance and forgiveness for all who are willing to live in reality and tell the truth about their lives and about the world. So Jesus is actually speaking to people who have been entrusted with the truth of the world. Jesus is speaking to the vanguard of new life, scrubbing as they are. Jesus is speaking to the early adopters of the kingdom, to those who can now begin to see that both they and their oppressors are manifestations of an old order that brings dehumanization to all, oppressors included. And so the command to love enemies is given to this blessed, empowered people not with worldly power, but with the cruciform power of God's love to embody the reign of God so that enemies can be freed from enacting harm and victims can be freed from receiving. Jesus has ushered in the blessing and abundance of God's future. This a new way of life that disrupts and displaces the old systems of oppressive power. Beloved, retribution and condemnation are over. Forgiveness and abundance are poured out. So let's embrace solidarity with the marginalized and together embody God's future, loving our enemies without fear, trusting God's love to liberate us all. So, these are the people that have been empowered with this good news. What does it actually mean then to love an enemy? Jesus issues this command. To love enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who abuse you. Here's the conundrum: These people were doing. Quiet submission to injustice keeps the old system in place. But direct violent resistance to injustice brings worse injustice, oftentimes. It brings massacre. People are massacred in the ancient world for uprisings. And it really keeps the old system in place anyway. And so this is the conundrum that Jesus invites us into a new way of seeing animals and a new way of acting toward them. What does this actually look like? Well, Jesus gives three examples. He's a very good teacher. <laughs> so he says, for example, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, we'll just focus on this first one, on the cheek. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. And again, he says, if anyone takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt. It's important to realize these are not general principles necessarily for us to apply in every situation of our lives. These are examples of creative acts of embodying God's new order in the midst of enemies that subvert and disrupt the oppressive systems of power. These are radical expressions of dignity, in the face of abuse. So, for example, turning the other cheek, uh, the the Roman garrisons of the time had unreserved power just to coerce, to kill with impunity. They could do whatever they wanted to poor the impoverished people. And so the slap across the face was meant to be the end of the conversation. It was meant to be To just declare, here's who's in charge, and now this conversation is over. And again, quietly submitting to this keeps the system in place. Direct resistance brings death and mayhem to my whole community. So what do you do? Jesus says, well, offer your own You can see how this is someone who is not supposed to take initiative taking initiative and disrupting the whole story. To take initiative in that situation by offering the other cheek is to call into question the whole world of the oppressor. I'm in charge. Here's my other cheek. What? What's going on? It calls into question the old order of oppression. The person who is not supposed to take initiative suddenly does. What's happening? What's going on?
1: So these are brave and imaginative ways to refuse the destructive power that's also
0: destroying our enemies. Decisions not to be passive victims, but also not to reproduce the violence that's being done to us. Embody ways of enacting God's new order of reciprocity and mutuality that invites enemies into ceasing their harm and joining us in a different kind of life. And it demands courage and creativity in every situation. We can't know ahead of time what it's supposed to look like in our situations with enemies. So loving enemies, that is not to quietly submit to oppression without protest. This is, in fact, not loving our enemies. Because the system of power that creates enemies is destroying all of us. It's dehumanizing both the oppressed and the oppressor. So loving enemies is this powerful act of resistance that breaks the cycle of violence that's destroying both of us. Incidentally, this is what Joseph does in our Old Testament text. He breaks the cycle of retribution. Instead of calling for retribution to his brothers who harmed him, he forgives, but notice what he does. In forgiving, he also names himself, I'm Joseph. And he doesn't say, ah, let's just forget about it. Yes, bygones to be bygones no he says who you sold into slavery he names the harm and invites his brothers into repentance and they repent forgiveness reconciliation can be enacted because Joseph names it he names the harm he loves his enemies by naming the harm they did to him and refusing retribution and inviting them into a different way of life and many are saved The love of Jesus has ushered in the blessing and abundance of God's future and it's a new way of life that disrupts and displaces the old system of oppressive power. Retribution and condemnation are no more. This is the world we live in now. Forgiveness and provision are abundantly poured out. So, let us embrace solidarity with the marginalized and together embody God's future that has been entrusted to us, loving love our enemies without fear. Trusting that God's love will liberate all of us. So, this is what I mean by we have a little bit of work to do, because there's some distance between our situation as a predominantly white church and the situation of the people that Jesus was speaking to directly. How do we respond to this good news? Well, one thing is that um, we need to learn how to make the kind of enemies Jesus is talking about. We need to get some enemies before we can love them. We need to make some enemies before we can love them. Which is hard for us to do because of our relative privilege. Again, as a predominantly white church, systems of oppression work very quietly behind the scenes for our benefit. Or so we think. It's not really to our benefit. But it empowers us stay on top of this system with all of the people who are directly doing these things. Evil is being done on our behalf. If you're white, evil is being done on your behalf and has been done on your behalf. No, you you didn't have anything to do with it personally. But it's part of the system we live in. It's part of what makes loving our enemies difficult. It's part of what makes having an enemy difficult. So part of what it will look like for us to respond to this test, respond to this call, to ren- is to renounce our solidarities with oppression and seek solidarity with those who are oppressed. What does that look like? Well, I don't know mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Next week uh, starts our Lenten class. We're starting the week early. We're just so excited about this. <laughs> add an extra week to live <laughs> But next week, uh, we're starting a class uh, called Confronting Man with Jesus. And part of the class is going to be us learning together, what does it look like for us to break these solidarities with oppressive systems and seek solidarity with the oppressed, which is where Jesus said that we would find it. How many of the things that seem like common sense to us are in fact ways of perpetuating injustice and in oppression? I don't know. We're going to learn. So friends, we're not good at this as a church. But just to be clear, we care a lot about it, but we're really not good at it. Yet, I'm praying that we will learn what this could mean for us. We have to take steps towards embodied solidarity with communities and So from that place of embodied solidarity with the oppressed then, then we can learn to discern what it might look like to love our enemies, to love the enemies that we make. And we'll know we're standing in solidarity with the oppressed when we start to make some enemies. And then we can learn in that joining, what does it look like to love? To face and name enemies, to name the harms being done, but to refuse to perpetuate the cycle of retribution. This requires courage, it will require imagination, we don't know what it looks like ahead of time. And likely it's going to bring up, probably already is, right now, for many of us in this room, fear of what this might mean for me, for my family. If we really seek these solidarities, what am I going to have to give up? What will it require of me? These fears are normal, they're okay. But they're to be brought to Jesus. And so the immediate thing that we can do right here and right now is to bring those fears to Jesus in prayer. And for us to learn, as we pray together, prayers of the people, how to pray in solidarity with the marginalized. So that we can learn what it means to maybe have enemies and maybe love them in the way of Jesus. The love of Jesus is ushered in the blessing and the abundance of God's future. This new way of life that disrupts and displaces all the old systems of oppressive power. Retribution and condemnation are no more. Forgiveness and provision are abundantly poured out in our laps. So let us embrace solidarity with the marginalized and together embody God's future, loving our enemies without fear, trusting God's love to liberate us all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son